This is the Business Storytelling Podcast with Christoph Trapp, available on Google, Spotify, Apple, Pandora, and other podcast channels. Want to play it on your iPhone? Just ask Siri to play the Christoph Trapp Business Storytelling Podcast, also available on Alexa. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Hey, how's it going, guys? Thanks Good. for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, you bet. So... I really kind of want to start off with a real basic but important question. So a lot of people talk about this idea of content marketing, but I've heard it described many, many different ways. So we'd love to hear what your take on content marketing, what your definition of content marketing is. Uh, definition is always easy. Uh, implementation is where it becomes harder, quite frankly. But But at the end of the day, you have to share content. Uh, and stories that is that are relevant to your audience. So if you're just uh, pushing marketing messages and just selling, selling, selling nonstop, uh, really, really hard to stay top of mind because you got to remember, uh, just three percent of a relevant audience is ready to buy at any given time. So what about those other ninety-seven percent? Right. So if you're not relevant, um, you're probably just uh, doing advertising or maybe uh, spamming, uh, depending on <laughs> what you're doing. But yeah. Fine line. <laughs> well, and I, I think you see that a lot with mm -hmm. social, especially, you know, there's a lot of just LinkedIn posts that are literally just ads or, you know, Twitter posts that are literally just ads. And it's really just noise. It isn't. What's interesting, though, I, I tweeted this the other day or LinkedIn or I don't know where one of the social platforms, 2015 content marketers would say, we do content marketing. We don't do any advertising. Uh, and today, mm -hmm. quite frankly, uh, you have to do advertising of some kind, but yeah. that doesn't mean uh, you just push a product. You might establish yourself as a thought leader, uh, but advertising definitely is also a part of content marketing today, even though it wasn't in 2015. Yeah. yeah. And that kind of brings me to another question. Um, that's a, It's a word that gets tossed around a lot is the word authentic. Um, and when we talk about authentic and can you share a little bit more? Because I know that your perspective, I mean, you've written a book about being mm -hmm. authentic. Can you talk a little bit more about that and put a little more texture behind what that word really should mean? Yeah, so authentic is who we are. I mean, like for real, not just uh, the made up versions. Mm -hmm. And so the other day somebody said something to me about being a marketer. And I said, you know, I am a marketer. I just don't play one on the Internet. Um, and one thing, how you can really truly show your authenticity is by doing things like this, right? I mean, doing live streams, doing podcasts. It's really hard for us to fake um, who we are on being live, right? And even doing a podcast. Um, it's a lot easier to fake uh, who your company really is when you when you use the written word. The written word still matters, but you, you've seen those things on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I have a joke, blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. yeah. Insert the blank. So my joke was I have a content market. I have content marketing jokes but they're still being approved by 25 editors. And so good, good luck yeah. being authentic when you got 25 people approving every word and every breath you, you make. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, it's having worked with large organizations, it, it's really kind of a death by a thousand paper cuts when it comes to getting content approved. You've got not only your clients, yep. I mean, you've got your internal stakeholders, so maybe a creative director, whatever, but then you also have legal teams on the client side. You've got regulatory. There, there's a host of different levels you have to go through. So it is really hard to get something that feels genuine and authentic out there if you're a larger organization. 
Yeah, and you know, I, I do think the legal team sometimes get a bad rep, honestly. Yep. Um, I, I worked with a huge company not too long ago, and they had a legal review, and I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be a pain, <laughs> um, you know, because I've been in those situations before. But their legal team, I mean, they didn't nitpick. They, they asked, mm -hmm. like, one question, what's the source for this? Can you link to the source? Something like that, yeah. super minimal. So it depends, right? It depends who you work with. But I've also been in companies in, in projects where people pick on every little thing. Yeah. And, you know, it's so I use the uh, Yoast plugin for my writing. And it told me uh, my SEO wasn't up to snuff or the writing because I was 0.3% uh, over the recommended amount of um, passive sentences, which is really like, that's like a half a sentence, right? right? Yeah. Or, like I'll, I'll add one sentence and I'm under. So, but again, like in real life, there are people who are truly nitpicking on every little thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why they do it. Sometimes it's control. Sometimes it's um, they think they're doing the right thing. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it doesn't make any difference. Right. So um, for the for the most part, sometimes it does, but very, very rarely. Yeah, I, I had that experience as well. Um, everything from in-house legal counsel at my ad agency, yeah. where clients had provided stuff that had gone through their legal team and then having our legal representation tell us, oh, we can't use mm -hmm. this and being like, the clients already vetted this four ways to Sunday because they know that if they screw this up, they're going to end up in front of a congressional hearing. I'm pretty confident this is going to be okay. And being like, nope, yeah. nope, nope. You know, the Kardashians had to pay because of something. And I'm just like, what? Like, this isn't even about, this is, this is financial services. This is higher education. Help me. Right. So it is interesting. And then on the corporate side, it was amazing because um, our legal team was rational. Like they were great. Um, I think we did overwhelm them at first with, you have to look at this and this, and they gave us guidelines that then they trusted us. But I think it's all about building that trust up between them. Um, do you have any thoughts or, or tips on how to build that trust? Yeah, so you, you have to talk to each other. And I know, especially now where everybody's uh, working remote, it's harder and harder to talk to each other, right? They're the hallway conversation doesn't happen when it used to happen. So you have to reach out to people. You have to, you know, whether it's Slack or, you have to have a meeting or something like that. But if you're not talking to people, really, really hard to build any kind of rapport. And here's the other thing. Everybody thinks they're perfect. Here's a newsflash. We're, we're not. <laughs> and when you look at when you look at like how people communicate on Slack, um, I know they think they don't come across like, you know, a, uh, a jack, you know, um, <laughs> there you go. Mm -hmm. uh, beep. Um, but 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 a lot of people do right and it's just <laughs> they're not writers they're too quick they think you can hear their tone and you can and i've even seen it when people try to be funny and the other person is like why are you being rude about it and they're like well i'm being funny um so think about that what's the best channel for you uh if you can't get it across on a slack channel pick up the phone not everything mm -hmm. this is a this is a thing that has happened during COVID. honestly i've worked at home for a long time and I have never had as many video meetings as I had in the COVID era right. because before I would never do a video meeting, like never, like I, I do a phone call. Do you know what I mean? Or yep. we might mm -hmm. share a screen. So, but at the end of the day, you have to talk, you have to um, talk about your goals. What are you trying to do? Why are you trying to do it? Explain it, um, you know, and, and, and do that. Well, and I think you, you hit on a really important point. We've lost the nuance in the context of our voices. And I mean, obviously, Susan and I are super um, deep into voice technology and using Amazon Alexa and things like that. Yep. 
But like, there's something that's lost in translation when it goes from kind of your thoughts in your head to text. And I know you, you said that you've recently written an article for CMI on the idea of voice and voice search. Mm-hmm. So from a content marketing perspective, I'd love to hear your thoughts mm-hmm. on voice and, and really where you see the value being for marketers and businesses in general. Yeah, I, I think voice is definitely something. I mean, you guys opened my eyes to that even more. I still have your book. It's currently holding up my iPad, so I can't flash <laughs> it on screen. All good. But it's still it's still being good to put to good use, so in case you were wondering. Um, but um, it is definitely something marketers need to think about. Uh, how do you get into the voice arena? It has gotten so much easier already. I'm not anywhere close to the, uh, an expert on the topic like you guys are, but... When I first started doing it, I mean, it was so hard. I had to go and create a blueprint in Amazon. I'm like, what's a blueprint? Why am I in a developer console? This is just too difficult. And today, it's so much easier, right? I mean, mm-hmm. my podcast automatically goes, uh, you can access it to, through Siri. You just say, Siri, please play Christoph Trapp Business Storytelling Podcast. Mm-hmm. And it goes. Yeah. Like, somebody asked me, they said, how did you do that? I'm like, I didn't do anything except I pushed it to Apple, which is what you should do anyways. So there are ways to make it super easy. Um, And of course, the the biggest problem, I love to know what's working and what's not. The biggest problem is you really can't measure anything right now, right? Whether they came from search or whether they came from just regular organic search, we don't know. Um, So there's some of that, but at the end of the day, they they all go together and people need to stop thinking everything needs to be measured anyways. Um, I was working on a campaign the other day and it came through one channel and then another channel converted that person and they were like, well, well, who gets the credit? I'm like, everybody, it's a team sport. Yeah. Right. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, one sets it up and one knocks it down. I mean, like there's nothing wrong with that. And I think from a content marketing standpoint, that's Mm -hmm. like the holy grail. Because we can't assume that someone's going to come in through search or through a blog. They may come in through multiple touch points. But ultimately, if that person gets the value and then converts, like that's a win in in my world. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, we talk about the world being omnichannel. So it's always interesting to me then when it has to come back down to, you know, integrated omnichannel. It's everywhere. But who gets the credit? Right. Like ultimately, and I understand it's because ROI and all those hard numbers that we've always promised and kind of. That's how we supported digital for how many years when no one believed in digital. Um, but now we've kind of made our bed and we have to lie in it. It's understanding how do we help understand what are all the pieces that come together to make that happen. And voice is interesting because now Amazon in, um, announced Quick Links, which is very similar mm-hmm. to the Google Action Links, which are going to start to help. But it's not a silver bullet. Like, And I think that's the thing. If we've learned anything through voice, it's there's no such thing as a silver bullet. Um, it's, as you said, it's figuring out what works and then seeing how they all work together. Yeah, the other thing, too, is and you guys put me on this track, quite frankly, um, is voice is still new enough for a lot of companies that when you like use it in your marketing, it actually can help you. So, for example, I know you guys' email says uh, ask Alexa to launch your podcast or whatever or your website or mm-hmm. something. And so I started using something like that in my marketing, in fact, for my podcast. So here's the thing. So Pandora podcasts are relatively a select group of podcasts. So I got to prove to that. So I got to use that for my marketing just to show off, right, Mm -hmm. that I'm on Pandora, one of 10,000. And then I need to use voice. So I actually changed the opening to my, my podcast, which is just my wife as the voiceover 
artist. Um, and it just says, you know, welcome to the podcast. Um, it's available, Google, um, Apple, and Pandora. And of course, you can ask Siri to play it by saying whatever. So I'm totally, the only reason that's on there is because I'm trying to hit home. I know what I'm doing. I'm using all the channels. Yep. I'm using this channel. And, you know, when people say, well, how do you do it? And like the answer is it's automatic. But um, if I don't, if I tell you and nobody else does, it is a marketing advantage for 100%. sure. And it's yeah. so interesting. Anytime we have content that says, hey, did you know you could play a podcast through your Alexa device? All you have to do is say, you know, Alexa launch and then the name of the podcast. People go, really? Yeah. And so it's it's pretty yeah. clear that we're still in the early days from the consumer um, use standpoint, mm -hmm. but we're also in very early days with the business investment to actually get their content kind of ported over and, and working on these new platforms. So, I mean, mm -hmm. for marketers from our perspective, it's like this perfect opportunity for you to create content, but then also educate your audience in what voices and why they can actually do things better or more yeah. efficiently through voice. And that is an advantage for you. So I 100% I agree. I'm very excited to know that we helped turn you on to that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. Uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just like you, you just got to use them all, you know. And I, I also love what you guys are doing with the podcast. I mean, I do the same thing uh, on some of them. I, I find these live streams very, very um, energy draining, for lack of a better term. So if you have to do them five times a week, Probably, I mean, I know I don't know how the TV people do it, you know, but but so I try to do one a week, yep. even if I yep. record five podcasts in a week. Yep. And but I put it on LinkedIn Live, you know, through Switcher Studio, and then I take the audio, I take the video, I put it on YouTube, mm -hmm. um, then I take the audio and I edit it a little bit because there's always stuff you say on video that makes no sense <laughs> in a podcast. Yep. So I cut I cut that out. I put like a mid-roll ad in it. Sometimes I don't even do that. And then I put the podcast up and then I write an article. Um, usually, not always. Um, and so my point is it's all together, right? So I throw the content at parade and that's that's what I would really recommend mm -hmm. companies try to do. And then on the back end, I don't usually do this for my own content, but uh, you know, for other projects, uh, run some kind of campaign to get it even in front of more people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that last part, and you kind of touched on it earlier with, you know, we're not advertisers in content marketing, but really mm -hmm. with the reach going down on a lot of these platforms from an organic standpoint, paid is really the only way you can get stuff out to your audience um, in a meaningful way. Yeah, and so I just heard this actually this morning. It was, uh, I think, the Marketing O'Clock podcast. Uh, so it's like uh, three or four people, super funny uh, um, banter going back and forth. But they talked about how Google... Uh, the click-through rates are going down quite a bit because Google gives you the snippets, you know, more and more. Yeah. So you don't even have to click. And we used to celebrate the snippets because then we were number one. Yep. And today it's like, oh, crap, now people aren't clicking because it's all on the Google page. Um, so even SEO is changing dramatically, yeah. I mean, as we're speaking here. Well, and it's it's funny because they recently announced that they're indexing FAQs on websites and also podcast content. So much like with their YouTube videos, if you have an answer, let's <clears> say, <throat> to a question and your podcast is indexed, your audio is gonna show up in that Google search result. The mm -hmm. FAQ content's gonna show up. And from a information architecture content strategy standpoint, FAQs are always kind of like, uh, you shouldn't do that, that's a yeah. junk drawer, no one really uses it. But now because of the way Google's indexing that content, 
it's actually got fresh life and there's a reason to actually make sure that you understand truly what your audiences frequently asked questions are about your product or service. Yeah, and voice comes in on that, which is really nice of being able to see what they're asking and you're missing. Um, right. the, the error log is my best friend because it lets me huh. see um, what has been asked and what gives me a no match. And then I can kind of say, mm -hmm. oh, I'm not. That is a frequently asked question. Look how many times that's come up. Yep. Um, and I think that was the downfall of frequently asked questions is it was an elephant graveyard of I don't know where this fits as opposed to these are really important questions that people want to get the answer and leave. Like it, it was definitely, I think, a better purpose now. Yep. Very cool. Well, hopefully this will be um, motivation for marketers and, 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 and web writers to have useful FAQs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was always just kind of like, well, we think this is what people are going to ask about, and you would just kind of create that. And I mean, I've, I was on teams that did it. I, I know for a fact that's kind of how it went. But now there's a, an opportunity to truly provide answers to the frequently asked questions that your audience has. So, you know, what's interesting about that comment, Scott, I, I agree with that. But if we don't have people asking us frequently asked questions and we're guessing, um, maybe that's a sign that marketing and sales and even customer experience uh, or customer support, we're not working together, right? Mm -hmm. Because if I'm the, if I'm the marketer, I go, Hey, Hey, sales guys, who, or gals, who is, uh, what are the questions you guys get? And then we build a page off of that. We don't, if I'm just guessing, it's like, we might as well just call it the things Christoph doesn't know, you know, like, I mean, truly work together and, and, and have questions people ask. Yeah. And of course you can do Google search, Google research, keyword research as well, mm -hmm. and see what people are searching for. I mean, there was a company that day, I don't want to name them, but um, what they, they rank for, is this uh, R and then the company, they legit. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so that should be a content strategy like to yeah. truly answer that question and hit it home and explain why it's the best way why it's legit why it's legal why right. it's okay to do and you know uh, but that was so that was a legit frequently asked question that i as a marketer i would not think of right, right. because that's not a super positive question quite frankly no, no. no. well and i think you talk a little <laughs> bit about that with the idea of an accidental seo strategy um, that that made me laugh because I thought about I'm like yeah, accidental is definitely the word. Right. So yeah. So I think you were referring to a chapter in in the book and uh, content performance culture, and then of course in uh, on the website as well. So what I'm talking about here is even if you don't have a good strategy, and all you do is you share stories, and you like you just keep sharing stuff. I'm not talking about throwing stuff at the wall, but you're trying to share content that's useful, that's helpful, that goes deep enough, at the end of the day, you will rank for something. You might not rank for what you want to rank for because you didn't do any research, but <laughs> I see that all the time. And, and you also, I've seen companies, they do that and then they go, hey, how come this article, like I had a healthcare organization, they were ranking for some article on breast cancer or something, something. And they said, well, this is like our best performing article, but we don't really want it to be. And um, so they kind of hit that by mistake, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes mm -hmm. that happens. Now, the trick is when you do that, and this is, I think, where a lot of content marketers, they, they kind of miss the boat, is when you have high-performing content, how can you pull people off that high-performing content and push them somewhere else? So, yeah. for example, if you have an article, I worked with a, a team, and they had an article that was ranking, like, number one, like, thousands and thousands of views, 
So what you do, you go in there and you have a really high call to action for something else, whether it's a white paper or email sign up or whatever. Um, so you, you want to go back and you want to optimize it even further when you see that. On my own website, AuthenticStorytelling.net, I also do that with advertising. Uh, I think Google Ads look kind of, they're, they're kind of annoying, honestly. And for the new articles, but they do, you know, I can uh, take my wife out for, or I can do a, a curbside pickup um, a couple times a year by doing right. some ads. Right. Mm-hmm. But I took, but I took, but I took them off um, the complete site. I only put them on the high-performing articles, which don't drive any other leads and which are really kind of old. So what happens is if you go to my blog and you're trying to check me out, you don't see ads, right? But I still make as much money from those ads as I made when they ran everywhere. Um, and nobody ever goes, oh, how come these ads are right here on the homepage? Right. So you, ha- so you have to kind of figure out how does everything fit together? And it's not just like, oh, this is how it used to be. We've got to stay that way. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I did actually see your tweet recently about having an email sign up on your high performing blog pages, because I think a lot of times we're guilty of just putting blog mm-hmm. content out there for the sake of putting it out there. And, you know, maybe it establishes some, some authority, um, gives us some credibility, but we're not really using that as lead generation or anything to convert people into, say, an email stream. So I think that's a really good, uh, just something you can easily implement. Um, if you have a blog out there, look at the pages that are converting well and put some sort of a, mm-hmm. a high value call to action on there to try to get to people to move to the next phase of the journey, which is ultimately what we're trying to do. And, and you know, not just the, not just the high-performing ones, Scott, but really everywhere. And here's my, my funnest story when it comes to email signups. So people always put the email signups at the bottom of an article, right? And of course, I got a little bit of an attitude about it here. And I go, oh, that's cute that you think people will read all the way down to the end of the article and then they'll sign up, right? Um, yeah. And we want them to do it. But let's be honest, if my goal is to get you to sign up, you know what I've done? I put the email sign up form on the top of the article. Mm-hmm. And it's the first thing. In fact, some people will argue with me that it looks like they have to sign up before they can read the article, which is not the case at all. Right. But if you're on, but if you're on a device, it does kind of look like it. And then the other fun thing on that is, when I first did that, it was like five percent um, um, growth every single day. And so one, per, I was, uh, I was a finalist in in, in this uh, award. I don't want to tell you who, who it is, but uh, but anyway, so one of the judges forgot to uh, shut down the Google Doc where they were leaving um, their comments. Right, but I saw the inbound link. I clicked on the link and I saw all the comments. And the comment was, oh, this is just terrible. They like they put the email sign-up form on the top of the articles, which is totally against best practices and blah, 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 blah. Like that, they didn't even talk about my content. They talked about that, right. which shows me that it was totally a bogus comment because I was converting people. Why do I care if you if you don't like it? You don't even you didn't even mm-hmm. sign up. Like, but I had other people sign up that same day. So it's just something to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes me question best practices. Like it's a best practice, but wait a minute, you're getting results. So then is that still the best practice? (laughs) Right. I don't think that word means what you think it means then. And it's what is the objective? Is it to get the content all read, which could be, you know, the goal. But if your goal is to actually drive signups and use the content to actually do that, you're absolutely right. And I've seen it play out on many websites that I've designed where when we move the call to action for email registration around and move it higher on the page or put it, quite frankly, even before mm-hmm. the article, 
it always converts better. And so it's not sexy, it's not pretty, but it gets the job done. Yeah. Yeah, I, I will take a sign up any day over somebody reading my article because now I'll send them more. And, you know, the, it's, just, it's just the reality of things. I, I think journalists tweet this all the time. Read more than the headline, read more than the headline. And I get them. I used to be a journalist. Like, I, I hear them. But here's the reality. Like, you've got to write better headlines, guys. I mean, seriously, you can't just be like, oh, well, that's their fault. They didn't read it. Uh, it's not their fault. Like, the headline mm -hmm. needs to give enough information that you know what it is. Because people do just read headlines. And um, there was actually, uh, I know we don't want to go into politics here, but the Dallas Morning News was retweeted by uh, Donald Trump, who has like 80 million followers on Twitter, or retweeted or he shared something. And the Dallas Morning News, one of their VPs, was talking about it. And he said, even though he has 80 million followers, we did not see a spike in traffic. So that means one, a couple things, right? One, his followers aren't very engaged. Um, two, which I don't know, I'm just saying, like theoretically, mm -hmm. maybe they're not all real, maybe they're not all real. Or three, they, they, they're just not reading, they're just not, they're just not going deeper, right? They're just reading the headline and that was it. And I think three is very likely to be um, the case for a big chunk of people. Yeah, absolutely. I always like reading the comments on articles, especially when it, the more like incendiary the headline, the more I have a tendency to read just to see. And then you look at the comments and then you find out, no, that was really a, a try to get you to read the whole thing. You didn't read the whole thing. And you can see, you know, the, did you even read the article? No, it's obvious. And it's time and time again. And it's human nature um, of, of how far you pull them in. It doesn't make people bad. It just is a light, a fact. It, it is 100% true. And so here's the example I always use um, that. So when have you ever been at an event that was covered by the media? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you, you went home and you read the article, or you watched it on TV or whatever. And you're like, were they at the same event I went to? Exactly. Right. You know, and so it's because we're all humans and we all have different perspectives and we look at the world from different lenses. And so even when people read the entire article word for word, they still may have taken different things from that article mm -hmm. than somebody else. So even if they read it, which is like totally passive aggressive when people say that, did you read the article? Oh, yeah. You're like, get out of my face. Right. right? Yeah. Troll. Yeah. We won't but... even talk about the tactics <clears throat> <Yeah>. of uh, <laughs> comment sections. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. And, but I think that's a, a good point though, too, of where um, when you talk about customer centricity and the importance of those things of understanding what is actual human nature and a behavior I can not necessarily capitalize, plan for, or accommodate, or adjust for, as opposed to, no, I'm going to make you read my whole article, or, you know, that, that whole principle part. So, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. We, we, we have a, uh, a guest right now. So we have an uh, apologies. Our, 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 our son just popped in. Hey, dude, we're, we're doing a live show right now. No, no, no. As in, no, don't be on camera. <laughs> As in, come on, the show. All right. Wait, wait, wait. No, uh, well, in the meantime, I apologize. The, it's the new world we're in, guys. Did it, you did you not see the interview with some journalist? And he was interview. It was just tweeted earlier, and he was interviewing some senator, and the uh, bird flew in and sat on his head for a minute. It, it you know, it's just a thing. It's just like when the uh, the guy on the BBC had his children uh, pile into the office while he was actually talking. So. Um, well, while we're, while we're doing this, um, why don't we talk a little bit about your book? 
And so this is the fourth book that you've written, third book that you've written specifically on content. Um, so why don't you talk a little bit about it, like why you wrote it and, and what it's designed to do for marketers? Yeah, so it's content performance culture. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to say it did make it to number one for in the PR category when it came out. And so it's a textbook. It's not a book you're going to take and, and cuddle up on your favorite chair with a glass of wine. Uh, you know, like it's not a book like that. It's not a novel or anything like that. It's uh, it's designed for you to learn how to create better content and how to um, start that content performance culture. And I know we talked about that earlier. Um, you know, you have 25 editors and it really, it comes back to the culture, the setup. How do you work together? How do you, um, uh, how, how do you create what you need to create? And the other thing is we only have so much time in the day, right? So it, depending on how you spent that time, um, the more likely you are to succeed in whatever it is you're trying to do. Um, so if you don't spend it wisely, you know, if you're just in meetings all day and you're just debating stupid stuff, you're not going to get there. So it walks you through uh, the content performance philosophy. How do you get there? How do you think about it? It's for all kinds of different um size businesses honestly it could be small could be bigger uh, it just kind of depends on what kind of people you have um what kind of roles you have on the team and then you go from there i also have a section on podcasting i still think podcasting is a way for businesses to stand out uh, plus it's so much easier than it used to be i mean i'm i do everything on my mobile device i mean i you know i record my podcast i mentioned that earlier um live and if i don't do live i just do it in the anchor app with my AirPods in, no studio, nothing, right? Super right. easy. And there's also a section on VR video. And VR video is like so much easier to do. And I don't have the camera here, but basically you can now buy a camera that you just put on top of your phone and you put the phone on a tripod, which I got the, um, you know, the area of unused tripods over here in my <laughs> office. Um, but, you know, you just use that and you, now you're doing VR video. I mean, yeah. it's like easier than ever, except you have to think about it and integrate it. Yeah. Well, and what I really like about the book that it, it is a workbook. And so you don't have to read it top to bottom. You can jump around and actually go, oh, here's a section specifically on podcasts. Here's a section on voice search. Here's blogs. Mm -hmm. And really figure out, because I, th I think the biggest challenge, especially if you're starting, you know, either in content marketing or starting your own business, I would argue it's true for both. You really just don't know where to start and you're kind of overwhelmed. So what I really like about the book is it's a really digestible way to jump into a specific topic, learn what you need to do to actually get started. And then once you kind of master that, you can actually move on to something else. So it's, yep. it's very much a um, how-to guide in my mind and is, is really useful for, like you said, big, small, whatever size companies, but also experienced folks that might be doing some other stuff really well and haven't really delved into other areas. So I think you've written a really useful book that I think a lot of people are gonna get a tremendous amount of value out of. Great, yeah, thanks. <laughs> I hope so, that's the idea. It's, and you know, what's interesting too is um, that the, the learning, should never stop. And I mean, I even had Daniel Murray, uh, I don't know the company's name now, but he's a uh, experienced content marketer out there. And he talks about unlearning. You know, he was on the Authentic Storytelling Podcast. And and it's so true because, um, so I did video production, you know, mid 2000s. 
and I had to push around a cart, right, with two monitors on there yeah. and headphones yeah. and the audio thing and all that. Um, and today, I mean, like, you know, it's so much easier, but you have to still figure out how do you do it? What's the best workflow for you? Yeah. Uh, and like, even when I think about my own podcast, it's like, I got it down now to a science how I do it and how I want to do it. But like, do I extract the audio before I push it over here? Okay, once I push it here, what do I do? Like, do I, how do I put it together? Where do I splice it? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, and like, even today, you know, I got this little circle light on top of the iPad. That's my lighting. Yeah. That used to be somebody's job who would stand over here and move the light right. around until my face was perfect, right? right? And now I put a little thing that it's not even mine, it's my kids. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's uh, so you always have to learn what's the best tool. Mm. How do you do it? What do you do? Uh, and then how do you move forward and, and implement it and see what works and what doesn't work? Yeah, and I think that's a really good point, especially if you're coming from a larger organization. There's this tendency to want to over-engineer everything and make it look perfect. Um, and I mean, I've certainly been on plenty of commercial shoots and video shoots where you've got the DP and you know there's 50 people involved with the production. And effectively, as, as an individual, you could pretty much do it yourself now. Yeah. Well, you can, and we don't want to say that too loud. And I, no. was, uh, I was on a, I was on a shoot once, and it was a photographer. Or, uh, you know, he had a real camera on him, and then he had an iPhone. I and I, he was taking an iPhone picture, and I said, "Why don't you use your real camera?" And he goes, "This is really just like decoration because um, some people will come to me and say, well, how can you be a photographer if you only have an iPhone?'" Um, at the end of the day, people can't even tell the difference. Now, we're not talking about like movies you know right. or like right. something highly produced like that but for the most part so um so i actually i went to the adobe summit a couple of years ago and um i tweeted or i even texted a videographer friend of mine i said um I, I was shooting 4k today and he said oh where'd you get a 4k camera <laughs> and i said i said it's my iphone right like you just have to change the setting now there's really no reason to be shooting 4k quite frankly uh, because it takes much longer than 1080. But even 1080, I mean, like 15 years ago, I would have, like, I was amazed when it moved to that. So uh, you can do those things on your iPhone, uh, you know, bring a light, even if you don't have a light, it often works. Uh, bring a tripod. So yeah. absolutely use the tools you have um, and don't overthink it. That is, so overthinking, I think, is an excuse, honestly, for to not get anything done. Mm -hmm. um, just try it and then allow the team uh, if you're the leader, allow the team to also, I don't want to say make mistakes, but evolve as yeah. things come up, right? It doesn't have to be perfect. Um, evolve it as you're going. Yeah, I think the learning part is key. And that's true for anyone, whether you're starting your own business, you're a, a seasoned marketer or whatever, like you have to constantly be evolving and learning and, and shifting with the times. And if COVID has taught us anything, we just have to be flexible when it comes to how we do our job, the ways we engage with folks. Um, I, you know, I think the marketplace has shifted and we've seen behavior, pretty big behavior shifts um, in some aspects of marketing because of the way um, people aren't leaving their home as much and not traveling as much and things like that. So, I mean, I think the name of the game is really just be flexible and constantly be learning and evolving your toolkit. Absolutely. I mean, it's the name of the game and, and try new things and, and see what's working and see what's not working. And here's the other thing. You have to give it time. And I know everybody wants results today, but I haven't seen any of those people uh, get promoted to CEO overnight. Right? right. It took them a while as well. 
So just keep that in mind. Um, there can be early results, and every once in a while, like I was just doing a campaign the other day, and they saw results right away, and I, I was kind of surprised like mm -hmm. that it was so quickly, but um, but there were a number of factors. So like you celebrate it, right? But keep that in mind. It does take time. It's not an overnight success, um, and and it's a long game. You have to keep going and keep pushing. Uh, you know, when uh, like Casey Cheshire's uh, hardcore marketing. Uh, podcast. So he records them on video, and then he puts them on you on uh, on the podcast channels, right? The audio. And he he would tell he told me when I was on the show, he said, you know, I really only do this so in case the video. He says it hardly ever takes off. Most have like ten views, but why not? And I've seen the same thing on my YouTube when I put up the video. Like most of them don't have very many views, but why not? Especially if you can fit it into the workflow, because then one day when somebody starts searching for a topic or a topic starts taking off, right. like remote work did, you know, a few months ago, your content is there, especially if you can find a way to be efficient uh, in your current workflow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually know someone that was recording a bunch of Zoom uh, videos and literally just teaching people how to do, you know, how to change your background, how to, you know, change the volume, things like that. This is all pre-COVID, and then all of a sudden COVID yeah. happened, and his his traffic spiked yep. ridiculously. And he's like, "I don't know what I did. I haven't been able to replicate it, but because people found themselves now needing to use Zoom uh, more frequently, he happened to have the right content at the right time, and so he literally like had hundreds of thousands of views on some of his videos that he was just doing." You know, as kind of like little vignettes is to try to help people <laughs> figure out how to do stuff. Um, but yeah, it's 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 incredible. And honestly, that's what we do with this show. So we do it live. So if people want to watch it live and, and ask questions or whatever, that's cool. We also have the videos on YouTube, but then we take the audio and put it onto our podcast. And so yep. what we're trying to do is be as efficient with our time and try to get as much life out of the content <clears throat> as we can. Um, to make sure that it's in as many places as possible. Yeah, well, and taking advantage of having someone like you on. Yeah. Um, you know, we know your time's precious, so yeah. we want to, like, how much stuff can we cram into this time <clears throat> to be able to make sure that we, we can share out all the insights? Right. Um, and I think what's really interesting, too, when you're talking about all of this is it comes back down to what customers need and relevance. Um, mm -hmm. No matter how yeah. hard we try all this different tech, it comes down to being relevant. Yeah relevant and useful. Uh, you know, the other mm -hmm. thing I was thinking about when you, so here's the other reason why life is a good thing. Um, so yes, when you're talking on podcasts, you know, you show your authentic self, unless you're a really good actor. Uh, you know, it's really hard. Like, I mean, I, when, when people are just like, you know, people I wouldn't want to deal with, like you can tell that right. they're rude that, I mean, you can totally tell even when they try to be professional. Um, but, but on, and I hardly ever have anybody tell me they want to edit a podcast or cut something every once in a while, something happens. Um, but when you're on live, the expectation is that everything is being published. There's there's no such thing as editing, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're live, like we agreed to go live. So I just that's another thing I, I, I thought about when why you want to go live because you take this whole expectation that you mm -hmm. can edit it out of the equation. Um, so that's actually you know when companies interview their experts that you might think about. Yes, coach them. Yes, give them some ideas. Yeah. Yes, tell them to be real. Um, just be themselves, um, but uh, you, you kind of taken the whole. Oh, we need twenty five editors. You take that out of the equation mm -hmm. because we're live. Right. Like we can't take it back. Right. Yeah. You might even have your child walk into the show <laughs> in while the you're right it. in the middle of it when you have a guest on. 
It happens. So you, so what's funny about that is, so I know you guys can't see my whole office, but um, so I had somebody walk in as well, except you can't see it. So the, the steps are right back there. Um, you can't see them. And I am pretty tall and I'm standing, right? So <laughs> when somebody walks in, you can't see them because they're not as tall as I am, plus the camera yeah. slightly faces up. So that's, there you go. That's Another a good thing trick. I learned. Yeah. Very good trick. <laughs> yeah. So if you were just starting out with content marketing and you hadn't really been producing much, much of any content, what is either your favorite or your go-to platform that you would have or that you would recommend most people start with? Well, you do want to start on your website. So if you're really truly only going to do one thing, you know, build out your website, build a blog, share good content, share unique uh, or, you know, I know hardly anything is truly unique, but with a unique spin, uh, with your story, with your experience, start it on there. Uh, in healthcare, I always say, you know, we don't need any more articles telling us the four signs of having a heart attack. Uh, plenty of content around that topic. Don't waste your time. Don't spend, don't, don't, don't build 10 hours to your agency to get done. What a waste of resources. Um, you know, realistically, though, if you're going to expand a little bit, I would really recommend to start with a podcast. Take the podcast as a centerpiece and then use that content, write it up. Um, as you said, I think, Scott, you said that earlier, is you don't really need to transcribe podcasts anymore um, because they're already being indexed. There might still be some ADA reasons why you would want to consider that. But, uh, you know, there are being indexed. And if you write an article about the, the, the topic or mostly that topic, um, put that on your website and get it out there. Um, would highly recommend that. Yeah, there's so many reasons to do that. You've got the SEO benefit, you've got paid mm-hmm. opportunities for social, you've got organic social you can drive. Mm-hmm. There's just so many ways you can drive people back to your website. And if that's kind of the central hub, then you have a, a much higher chance of converting folks or <clears throat> jumping on a call or whatever you're trying to achieve. Yeah, and you know, and then of course you take the, the article on the website as the centerpiece to push it out to social. Uh, there's now tools out there that you can use that do it for you. Uh, whether you need them or not, that's you know depends who you ask. That's debatable. Right. Um, even if you don't use them, they're they're pretty good. I tested some of them, um, and if a writer would have sent me that copy, I would have not pushed it back. It was uh, not terrible. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I do quite often is uh, the the uh, buffer. Right, buffer has a um, Chrome extension. So really, all you do is you highlight uh, paragraphs, sentences, whatever, quotes in your article, click the buffer extension, and buffer turns that into a post that you can then add to your queue. So if you have the 100, 100 uh, post plan, for example, uh, super easy way. No copying and pasting. Uh, that's my other uh, recommendation. If you're working on Word documents, unless you're printing them out and you hand the Word documents to your prospects, Stop it. Start working in the CMS. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, seriously, like WordPress is easy enough. I know some of them are harder to, to work in, uh, but work directly in the CMS. So people can actually see what it's supposed to look like, right? Because when you send people copy, but you can't tell what's the related tweet, what's the related link, what's the post, uh, what's the mm-hmm. picture, um, do that. And especially in WordPress, you can now send people like a public uh, post preview, for example, uh, you can make uh, people editors, et cetera, et cetera. So I would highly recommend to do that. Uh, we're in 2020, and copying and pasting should truly not be in your workflow anywhere. 
Um, so, and there's other tools you can purchase. They're much more expensive, but at the very least mm -hmm. be in your CMS. Yeah. I mean, for real. Yeah, yeah, we're we're firm believers of doing that, and we actually work with a tool called Gather Content, which is effectively oh, yeah. a yep. headless yeah. CMS. But it is so much better than working in Word documents and scrolling through pages upon pages. Um, and it's great yeah. for like approvals, especially for working with legal teams and clients and everything else. It just makes the whole process so much easier. Yeah. Well, and it's nice because it forces you to think about structured content a little bit um, when you set up those templates. And then that helps you figure out, I mean, you can just add a tab that says, and here's what all the promotional tweets will look like. And here's what all the face, you know, and, and all of those pieces. And it's so helpful to be able to put it all together at once in context, because context is also an important piece of relevance. Yep, absolutely. Awesome. Well, we, we've been going for about 45 minutes or so, so I uh, wanna be respectful of your time and, and the audience's time. So if mm -hmm. someone wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way that they could do that? Um, you can always send me a postcard to, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, AuthenticStorytelling.net is a good place. Uh, ctrap at gmail.com if you want to send me an email or connect on LinkedIn. Um, please, please, please just make sure you heard it on the show that I invited you on to connect with me on LinkedIn. So I don't think you're one of the gazillion spammers who want to sell me yet another something I don't need. Um, but happy to connect with you on there. Twitter as well, ctrap. And of course, you know, if you want to check out the podcast, always appreciate it. You, you literally can go to Siri and just say, hey, Siri, play Christoph Trapp, the business storytelling podcast. Um, so, you know, always appreciate people giving thoughts and listening to that as well. Yeah. And actually on Amazon Alexa, you could do the exact same thing. So if you've got an Alexa device mm -hmm. um, and you've got a favorite podcast, you know, get in the habit of, of asking Alexa to launch your podcast because... It just does it for you. You don't have to go through and look for it. It pulls up the most recent one and it just makes it easier for you to find your favorite content. So, And the one thing you guys taught me that uh, even came up the other day is you don't even need an Alexa to use Alexa. I mean, no. I use Alexa on my iPhone using yep. the Alexa app. Yep. So uh, just something to keep in mind as well. Yeah, and they've yeah. actually just recently upgraded the app. So there's a lot more capabilities coming down the pipe um, between the mm -hmm. update and some of the stuff they've got cooking. So yeah. I, I think you're going to see Alexa on mobile start to rival what Siri is able to do. Um, and it, it's going to be a really interesting three-way race between Apple, Google, and Amazon, at least on uh, the iPhone, to see yeah. who actually becomes the more used uh, assistant. So. So, so it depends on what you're trying to do and what your preferences are, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the other day somebody said on LinkedIn and they said, um, who actually uses Apple Maps? And I'm like, like they were kind of like, like, you know, who uses Bing? And exactly, that's what yeah. I said. And I said, I use it and you know why I use it? Because honestly, I don't really care. I think Apple Maps gives you like more uh, options, but it, it yeah, uh, brings me on my watch, right? So it goes, like it actually goes. The haptic click, is click, awesome. Click, yeah. 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 I need and that so, one. <laughs> I know, me too. So well, it all depends on what you're doing. And and I, actually, I, I know we were wrapping it up, but you brought something really interesting up. Everyone goes, well, who uses Bing? If you use an Alexa device and you're doing a search on it, it's using Bing. Use Bing. And yeah. so it's no longer sufficient to just have a Google strategy. You need to be looking mm -hmm. at what your audience is doing on Bing as well. Awesome. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining yeah, us. Thank you. for the interruption. 
Do you need help with digital marketing for your small to medium-sized business? Reach out now and drop us a message at ctrap at gmail.com.